All good. Did you bring your Bibles this morning? Amen. All right. Make our declaration with me this morning. Say it with me. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you that it's transforming to our lives. Holy Spirit, do your work. Change us from the inside out by the truth of the word today. In Jesus' name, and somebody said, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, as we get into this this morning, open your Bibles up to Isaiah 58, and we've been uh, really just kind of camping on what it means to be in Christ and abiding in Him. And it's interesting uh, yesterday with the men at our men's breakfast, we just talked about uh, some of the multiples that Jesus uh, spoke into our lives. Anytime Jesus says something more than once, I encourage you to pay attention. And so we read through Matthew chapter 6 for six times in a few verses, Jesus said, don't worry. How many know if Jesus has to repeat something six times, it might be important. Amen. Trying to get across something across to it. In John chapter 10, between verses 4 and 10, in seven verses, he says, abide. Twelve times. In seven verses, he brings up the word abide, the principle of abiding. Twelve times in seven verses. So how many know he's trying to get something across to it? In John chapter 14 through John chapter 16, in speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit, he uses a personal pronoun, he or him, 19 times in reference to the Holy Spirit. Because he doesn't want us to think about the Holy Spirit as an it, as the cloud or something, but he is the Spirit of God. The, Spirit of, the Holy Spirit is a person as much as Jesus and the Father is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. Amen? And so that's who we are in relationship today. God's chosen expression of himself is the Holy Spirit in our life today. God is doing everything in the earth, in, through, and by his Spirit. In John 14, Jesus says, I will not leave you alone or orphans. I will come to you. The way I'm coming to you is I'm sending you the helper. How many ever needed help besides me? How many need help on a daily basis? Amen. That's one way to get both hands in the air and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I need a helper and I need it every day. Praise God. So in that, the Lord sends us a helper and a helper is a person. But in order to have a relationship with a person, you have to get to know the person. The only way to get to know a person is to spend time with the person. And so learning how to walk in relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, as a person. Jesus emphasizes that 19 times. And so when it comes to that, it's important for us to get that down on the inside of it, what it means to walk with God, how it means to abide in Him. And then when it comes to worry, so we talked about it when it comes to worrying, how do I not worry? Well, one, by abiding in Him, if I'm abiding in Him, everything I need is flowing from Him into me. So everything I would worry about, he's already taken care of. Amen? Amen. And so now I can just be at peace in the Lord. But then how do I learn how to rest in that? One, by building a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Learning to build and develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning I want to take it to a little different level. I want to talk to you about being raised but not released. Because when it comes to abiding in him or living in the fullness of Christ, many times, and, and especially today and throughout, how, how many, and, and we do it, and I don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but we lead people in what we call the sinner's prayer. 
And the sinner's prayer is this. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe you died for my sin. Forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. Thank you, Jesus. I'm safe. So we say something. We just make up kind of something along there. Everybody has kind of a different context of what they are. But somewhere we get people to confess Christ as their Savior, accept his forgiveness, and declare that they give their life to Christ. We say, okay, you're saved. All right? So that means that they've accepted Christ as their Savior. They're alive in God. But now the question is, how do I live? What does that mean? Where do I go from here? And so this morning, that's really and when we've been talking about abiding in Christ and living in Christ. So what does it mean now that I'm born again and I'm alive with God and he abides in me and I'm called to abide in him? How do I do that? Isaiah 58, if you turn there in your Bible, is the account of Isaiah giving us uh, what it means to really worship God in the right way. I mean, you know, fasting is a type of worship. And Isaiah points out that there are people who fast for the wrong reason. And then he says, if you're going to fast, and this is the fast that the Lord accepts, and then he gives us the acceptable fast of the Lord. This is the fast that he says that I have chosen and that one that God accepts. But he finishes up with the blessing of that, the benefit of doing things God's way. In verse 11, Isaiah 58, verse 11, Then the Lord will guide you continuously and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. How many would take that as a blessing from the Lord? Amen? And I'd take some of that. And then he says, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I'm going to say, I'd take some of that too. That's a good blessing. Amen. So we received that. But then look at verse 12. And he says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And so out of that, and, and, and I notice this, that, that out of the multitudes of God's people, God is looking for those who are among you. That there, there's a different class of people. There, there's, there's people in their life and their relationship with God. They, they just want something more with God. They want to go to another level. And I believe those are the, those who are among you. So look at the cover of your outline. Isaiah 58 said that God would build the old waste places. He would raise up or revive, that we would raise up or revive the foundation of many generations, be repairers of the breach, and the restorers of streets to dwell in. See, this is not a word for every person, but for those from among us who would be hungry and willing and desirous to see God move in their life, not just in a new way, but in a true way. Let me say it to you like this. There's a difference between something that is new and something that is true. If you study church history at all or look at the cycles in, in, in church history, you'll find that people who chase after something new many times get led astray. There's a big difference between what is new and what is true. So there are lots of new fads, new things. And it is true. God says, I will do a new thing amongst you. Will you know it? But the new thing that God always does is always a true thing. And it's always connected to his word. But many times new things are things that we try to manufacture or people try to manufacture or people learn how to manipulate and twist things to get people to come after them. Or to follow them or to create something and do something. And so if we're hungry for new, be hungry for new, but always make sure that your hunger is founded in what is true. Amen? I, I want to be hungry for the truth. If God's going to do a new thing in my life, I want that new thing to be the true thing. Amen? And so that's so important. See, I've seen this happening in our church and in the lives of individuals in the greater church community, in corporate and 
uh, in, in greater church community and co- cooperation and desire for revival. You've heard me talk about our city pastors fellowship, the Sacramento region. We have over 430 pastors that come together quarterly and we come together for community events, other things, but in fellowship across all denominational lines. And some of the most powerful uh, worship times that we are at, we go to different churches, meet at different locations, are hosted by different churches for our quarterly meeting. And then we're all worshiping together. And it's amazing. Pastors from every denominational background you can think of coming together and worshiping one Lord. Amen. In spirit and in truth. Nobody promoting, nobody divided, nobody intimidated. Just get a powerful spirit of unity. We don't hear enough about that, but God is doing something great corporately in our region. Other communities around the nation staff have contacted the leadership who started that up and said, how are you guys doing that? It's just a move of God. Amen. And when that happens in a community, great things begin to happen. And in our nation, there's a fresh move of God's Spirit across the land in and over in and over all exposure of lies and deceptions for the purpose of revealing and restoring truth. I want you to hear me today. There's a lot of things coming to the surface that people are going, oh my gosh, about. But it's not something for us to oh my gosh about. It's knowing that the lies are being exposed. Everything is coming to the surface. It's amazing the boldness that is out there right now just to declare and to get everything out. And I think it's awesome, and I think it's a precursor to a great move of God. Because when the lie is out there, it makes the truth, it gives the truth a louder voice. And people go, wait a minute, there's got to be another option besides that. Yes, there is. Let me share with you the truth. Amen? And so, but that will be dependent upon how we respond. And so if we respond in the right way, we'll have an opportunity to see God do great things. Know this, everything God does, Satan seeks to destroy. Every time God begins to work in your life, every time you get hungry for God, you're going to come up against opposition. Jesus said it like this in Mark chapter 4. He said, the sower sows the word. And when he gave the explanation, the disciples said, what does that mean? He says, well, the sower sows the word, and when the, when the word falls on wayside ground, immediately the enemy comes to steal the word that was sown in their hearts. And so whenever you hear the word, there's always going to be attack against your life for the word's sake. And let, 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 me, let me put it to you another way like this. You are no threat to the devil. He is not concerned about you at all. What he's concerned about you is that when you understand your life is soil and God wants his seed sown into the soil of your life, and if God can get the seed of his word sown into the soil of your life, it produces a harvest that destroys the devil's kingdom. And so the attack is always against the word, not against you. The next thing it says is that persecution and affliction come for the word's sake, not for your sake. We take it personal. There would be no attack if it wasn't for the word's sake. And if that doesn't kill it, then if you can't kill it by stealing, if you can't kill it through persecution and affliction, then he'll try to choke it out with the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, causing the word to become non-productive. So the challenge and the work of the enemy is always against the word in your life. So everything God does, the devil is always fighting again. And when you say yes to God and you say yes to his word, when you say yes, I'm going to learn how to live in Christ, to abide in Christ, to have Christ in me and to have him living through me, just understand the enemy is going to come against you. But the great thing is, Jesus said like this, in the world you have some tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. So when the devil picks a fight, he already decided to be whooped. 
Oh, you out for another whooping. Amen. Come on over. Glad to give you one. Amen. Are you doing all right? So with this, so hear me this morning. So why is there a need to revive, rebuild, and restore? Why is there such a need? Why has God declared that there will be a need to revive, rebuild, and restore? Because the adversary of all that we are is always looking for those whom he may devour. Also because we tend to become content in the comfort of our present and forget that God is not. In our Christianity, we can get a place where I'm content with my walk with God. I mean, I'm losing my press. I'm not hungry for the more. I read my Bible, and I can just skim over everything instead of going, man, how come they got to do it and I don't? I'm kind of like, that's the way I am. How come, how come they got to do that? And I don't. And the Lord just says, why not? I said, I don't know. I'm asking you. Amen. He says, they went after it and you're not. And press in. Everything in God is available to those who go after it. See, we're, we're, we're just kind of lazy, spoiled people. We want to sit back and make God do everything for us. Kind of like that commercial I saw and uh, had this kid, he's sitting at a computer playing a video game. And uh, he gets his cell phone and calls his grandma to bring him another Coke as she walks by. <laughs> I know none of us would act like that as Christians or expect God to do things like that for us. But think about that. See, it's there for us to press into God. We get comfortable in our walk with God, and God is not. I get places where, you know, I'm saved enough. No, you're not. Well, the Bible says I'm sealed. Yes, you are, but it also says to grow and to keep pressing and to hunger and to thirst. Amen? So that's where we are. So if we don't work to preserve and protect what we have and where we are, we will have to fight to revive, rebuild, and restore. That's what happens. If, if I'm not working to protect and I'm preserved, one reason the world is the way it is right now is because the church pulled back. We didn't want to be involved. Years ago, we supported a ministry called Traditional Values Coalition, Lou Sheldon. We began supporting him in the early 80s, and he tried to warn the church about the homosexual movement. And he got ran out of town. He got tarred and feathered and ran out of town by the church. No church wanted to have him come and talk to him about the, the homosexual agenda. Oh, no, brother, that's not what it is. You know, we can't get involved. We can't get involved in that. And now, look where we are today because the church said, no, we don't want to hear that and we don't want to be involved. That's only one area. Amen. Everything else. In politics, people say, no, we don't want to talk about politics in church. Don't talk to me about my politics. Don't talk about any of this thing. And so we've turned over the world, turned over our politics to the world. Separation of church and state never meant that the church shouldn't talk about politics. It meant that the, that the, the politicians shouldn't be in the church. That's what Thomas Jefferson's letter was. It wasn't to keep the church out of politics. It was to keep politics and government out of the church. Are you doing all right? But when we back up and we give up, now we have to fight to what? Revive, rebuild, 
and restore. Look inside your outline. It's important for us to know that God's grace, that great grace, is available to everyone at the point of our need. To know that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is there to equip us and to enable us to overcome any weakness or adversity that we may face in our life. We need to know by the Word of God that there are, there's a threefold blessing to grace. Let me just say this to you. God's grace is there available. When you feel like you have to do it and you have to produce it, then you're not walking by grace. First of all, you couldn't bring nothing to the table to be acceptable by God. God provided everything for you, and so he continually provides his grace in your life. Are you with me this morning? So we have a threefold power to grace, the power to save us, the power to release us, and the power to renew us. God's grace is working in your life, perfecting his salvation. You're in a process. The moment you are saved, your spirit is made alive unto God. You're born again of the spirit. Amen? Amen. And so God breathes this life back into you. The Holy Spirit now lives in you. Jesus said this in John 14. I'm sending you the spirit of the truth. He has been with you and he shall be in you. So when you're born again, God's spirit is made alive and you're now spiritually alive unto God. So your spirit is saved. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 2, he says, he that is born of God sinneth not. So my spirit isn't sinning, but my soul needs some help. My mind, my will, and my emotions, I need some help. So that's where the renewing, the transforming by the renewing of our mind. James chapter 1, receive with meekness the, 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 the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. So your soul is in the process of salvation, transformation, and renewal. And that's where we live. And that's where we have to keep pressing. Are you doing all right? Amen. It doesn't mean I get saved. I get born again over and born again, 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 again. No, no. I'm just pressing in. Are you with me? I'm pressing in for complete transformation. So today in the next few moments, we're going to go in depth real quick into the power of grace to release and renew us and to help us keep what we receive from God. Go with me to John chapter 11. Are you still with me this morning? Amen. John chapter 11, and we all know the account, if you've been saved or a Christian for very long, you know the account of Jesus and Lazarus and their friend and Mary and Martha and the family there. And Jesus would stay in Bethany with them when he was around Jerusalem and that. And so they get the account, comes to him that Lazarus <clears throat> has fallen ill and he dies. And the disciples will begin grieving and weeping and mourning. And Jesus says to his disciples, this sickness is not unto death. Amen. And he says, Lazarus isn't dead, he's just asleep. They're going, oh, what do you mean, uh? And so it uh, sounds like a lot of Christians today, oh, God, <laughs> amen. So anyway, Jesus goes, oh, help me, Lord. He says, send the Father, help me just to open their eyes and their understanding. So he gets there four days later, Mary and Martha having the same thing. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, didn't I tell you if you believe, you see the glory of God, Amen. And so God's always trying to reveal the fullness of who he is to us if we can even ever get beyond our religion. Amen. Amen. Your religion is your belief system. I guarantee you, as many people, you want to know how many religions there are in the world? There's one for every one of you in this building right now. Your religion is your belief system. It's not a denomination. I made up anything else. But everybody, we, we make up our own religion, our own belief system. And usually we make it up in our mind and we have an image of God in our mind. We have to be careful that we don't worship the image that we made up. Amen. Right. amen. We can have mental idolatry. Could you say amen? Yes. 
or oh me, whichever one applies. Amen. <laughs> so watch that. So Jesus is there. He comes and he says, come on, you're going to see the glory of God. Where have you laid him? He goes there and he prays. And then he tells him to take away the stone in verse 41 and verse 43. And now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with the cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Now hear me this morning. It's time to remove the grave clothes of the old and to begin to walk in the new. That's God's will for our life, that he, we would remove the gray clothes of the old man, the old life, and walk in the new. We need to be men and women who are constantly being changed by the glory of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we must be willing to be a work in progress. Amen. You have to be a work in progress. You've been here long. You've heard me say it before. I, I tell people all the time, I'm not that saved. Amen. Amen. I may say the wrong thing. I may do the wrong thing. If, 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 I, you know, a lot of areas. I'm just a work in progress. My soul, I'm still putting off the old man, and I'm putting on the new man. Read Ephesians 4. Read Colossians 3. Read through what Paul says about putting off the old and putting on the new, being transformed. Are you with me this morning? And so in that, but you have to be committed to the process. I can't just get some place, say I'm okay and not keep pressing and entering in to the process. Like Lazarus, we are unable, though, to release ourselves from the old gray clothes of the world. We need assistance. The heart of God is not just to raise us up, but to release us to purpose. New life has purpose connected to it. God saves you. The Bible tells us that God is working an eternal plan. And that's what we see happen around the world. If you've studied the Bible very much, when you see what's going on in the world, you shouldn't be discouraged. You should be encouraged. Because everything that's happened in the world is pointing that we're getting closer to the back of the book. Amen. Amen. We're closer to the end than we've ever been before. Hallelujah. It's like the old, the, the old preacher said, you know what? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go right now, though. So I want God to hold off or do whatever, but, you know, in that area, if a little young boy with little eight-year-old boy sitting on the front row and the pastor's preaching and, and going through and he preached a great message on the rapture and the coming of the Lord and going to heaven and the glory of God and everything else. And he said, how many are ready to go? And all the people threw up their hands like this, and the little boy just sat there like this. So after service, he comes up to him and says, well, son, what's the matter? How come you, are you afraid? Don't you want to go to heaven? He goes, yeah, I just thought you were taking up a load to go right now. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So with that, God has added purpose to our life. And, and when we say yes to his plan, he has an eternal plan that he's bringing to pass. And when we say yes and we walk with him and fulfill his purpose in our life, we bring that plan. We're a part of bringing that plan to pass. And we move ourselves closer to the culmination of all things. Are you with me? So think about it. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us and teach us. That's why he commissions us to make disciples, not just converts. It's not just enough to say, hey, you know, it's kind of like I used to teach some guys. There was this one guy that I knew a long time ago, and I don't see him very much anymore. But he was always very proud about leading people to the Lord on the street. Well, I led 17 people to the Lord. That's good. And I've done that, leading people to the Lord. I shared I did that with my son, the guy on the golf course, prayed with him. But just leading somebody to the Lord isn't the end of it. Somebody has to disciple that guy. 
They have to be discipled. He didn't just say make converts. He said make disciples. But we like to go around and claim we led people to the Lord like notches on our sick gun. You know, I did all this great work for the Lord. Yeah, but who discipled them? How are they doing today? Amen. In, in my analogy, that's like having babies and leaving them on the step of the firehouse. Who's going to raise them? Who's going to teach you? Because if you don't disciple them in a short time, how are they going to stand against the, the, the adversary that's going to come against them? Are you doing all right? That's why God established a local church. That's why church is so important. Praise the Lord. So watch this. So we're out to make disciples. Somebody say change is good. Change is good. Amen. Change is good and changes of God. How many of you like change? Yeah, three people. Amen. But see, change is good. See, I, I said in first service, every one of you in here has a routine. You wake up in the morning, you have your morning routine. And if that gets messed up, you're going, man, my, I didn't get my routines all messed up. This is going to be a terrible day. Because some change entered into your routine and your schedule. If, if everything goes just like this, this would be a great day. But if something changes that, man, everything messed up. But change is good and changes of God. Hear me this morning. Like a newborn child is released from the womb of his mother, so we have been released from the tomb of our path to pursue our destiny in Christ. When you get born again, that's really what, you are born again. You are now a new creature in Christ Jesus. Your old life has passed away. God has a brand new life for you in Him. But we have a choice. Am I going to live my old life just thinking I'm saved? Or am I actually going to pursue this brand new life that God has given me in Christ? See, we are on a journey from the womb to the tomb to the throne. You're born out of your mother's womb, and you're heading towards one day, unless the Lord returns, and you and I go on the rapture, we're all going to be, our pastor used to say it like this, Brother Hood, he had all these encouraging things. He said, we're born, and then we're, start, and we're ready for the pine box. I said, Pastor, that encourages me, that's exciting, amen. <laughs> but that's the reality, you're born from the moment you die, you're heading towards your end. Because we live in this parenthetical space called time. That's where you live. And, and time, for, for everybody, we, that's what the Bible says. We, we don't know what our time is, but the Bible says our life is a vapor. And so what we do during this time frame determines how we enter into eternity. And so it's important that we live wisely and circumspectly, as Ephesians says, redeeming the time because we want to end up at the throne. That's our goal is to end up at the throne. See, life is not life, though, until I'm released from my grave clothes. Life isn't life. Lazarus standing there. Jesus wasn't content just to have Lazarus standing there wrapped in grave clothes. And look, he's alive. Well, yeah, but he's wrapped. Amen. He's bound. By what? By the old life, by his old life, by his old grave clothes in them. We cannot walk in the works of God when we are bound by the old grave clothes of the world. Lazarus came out bound from head to toe. He was alive, but he was still bound. Many today are saved and alive, yet they're still bound by the old grave clothes of their path. They're just, they're as yet unable to walk and dance, hear this, in the prophetic power of God's word. Your walk is to be a dance, if you would. A prophetic power and declaration of God's word over the enemy. 
Amen. But in order for that to happen, the old grave clothes have to be stripped off of your life. Our feet are a prophetic statement to the devil. We are walking out the performance of God's word and will in the earth. Every step we take when we are released is a bruise on the devil's head. Are you with me? The revelation of this truth will give you more than a Pentecostal hop. It will set you free to dance on the devil's head. Amen. Hallelujah. I need a volunteer. I mean a victim this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jamie, come on up here, buddy. A young, spry young man. Pastor Tim, come help me. Jamie gets to be Lazarus. Come right over here, son. Amen. See, Lazarus was the inspiration for the hit TV series, The Walking Dead. <laughs> Not really. Hold that right there, Mr. Tim. Hold that, hold that one right there. You did it one year for Halloween? You went as a Q-tip? Keep your hand down to your side. Come on, you're dead. Lay there still. There you go, boy. I have to go this way. I went the other way in first service and got dizzy. I'm trying to go the other way. There you go. Go around. These are old grave clothes. Yeah. Fragile. There you go. Up, up a little higher. I got to catch you. In the... There we go. Up. I don't know my own strength. I'm tearing paper back here. Takes a long time to bury people. There we go. Good. A couple more wraps right down there. Okay, hold that still right there. How many are wishing I would have picked you right now?
What else you got on there? You're a cooperative dead guy. So before we get saved, we have sin, we have shame, we have greed, we have guilt, we have been abused, we've been abandoned, we have lust, we have lies, we have pain, we have pride, we have fears, we have failures. And when you get saved, you're born again, but all that stuff is still connected to your life. So, Jim, would you like to accept the Lord as your Savior? I would. I mean, pray this with me. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father today, I believe today I believe that you love me. You love gave, your son gave your son to die for my sin. To die for my sin. Today, I confess Today I confess Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ my, Lord and Savior, my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Come into my life. I'll live for you. I will live for you. In Jesus' name. In the name of Amen. Jesus. Amen. All right, going back to your seat. All right. <laughs> help. <laughs> you need, like, the need some help? Yeah, I this well, hop, hop on over here. Now, see, what happens is, is that we think if we just lead somebody in a sinner's prayer, we've really led them to Christ. But yet we're leaving them. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth out of the grave, but he was still bound hand and feet. And he still carried all of the clothing of his old life. So the best we can do is just hop around and act like we're free when we're not. But in this area, you have to submit yourself to God and give yourself to the Lord. And so can, being a convert is much different than being a disciple. Because in discipleship, you have to yield yourself to somebody else. And somebody else has to come along to help you get free. <laughs> How do you feel about discipleship this morning? <laughs> or alright go easy I would but it's going to be pain it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me amen no but what happens is in discipleship is that go ahead and raise your hands and praise the Lord come on raise your hands praise, what's the matter with you where's your joy huh don't you want to be free? I do. All right. I need some help. You need some help. How many know that's the first answer to victory? Amen. I need some help. Because see what happens is, is that with, we have pain in our life, but we also have pride in our life. And our pride keeps us from asking for help. And our pride keeps us from receiving the help that the Lord wants. And so many times we would rather just have some life in Christ than to have full life in Christ. I shared in first service, there's a young lady in our church that's always been an inspiration, and she comes to first service now. And if you've been here very long, you know who she is, is Barbara Sanders. And if you've watched Barbara during worship, there's something that she does that very few people in our church do. 
And during worship, you'll watch her, and she'll be dancing up front up here, just completely and freely dancing. But what inspires me about Barbara is not that she dances in front of people, it's that she dances before the Lord. Because I know her backstory. I know what God's done in her life, and I know why she dances. Because she is somebody who didn't just pray a prayer. She is somebody who allowed God to work in her life and bring her all the way out. And she's walked through discipleship. Now, as I do this, I want you to, do you want to be free? Okay, so keep trying to get free. Amen. I tell you. Proud of you, son. Proud of you. Amen. Because the other part of that, the reason I had him do that is that there was a fallacy somewhat that has come into the church. And it doesn't mean that we don't pray for people or lay hands upon people. But nobody else can get your victory for you. Nobody else is going to possess your victory for you. So you have to have the same desire to be free. And while you're working to be free and walking with God and growing in the Lord. Amen? How many know in school nobody else could take the tests for you? You had to study, you had to pass the test yourself. And so the same thing in God. I have to hunger, I have to seek God. Amen? And so while I'm hungry and I'm seeking, God will send people into my life and I connect with people who will help me in discipleship to get me free. But I have to be engaged in the process. I can't have somebody else pray for me, somebody else do my praying. I've had people actually tell me, Pastor, could you pray for me? I know God hears you. Well, that means you, that, that's just somebody that doesn't have a renewed mind that who, of who they are in Christ. They haven't been discipled. They haven't grown in that area. Amen? Now, let me just tell you, none of this happens in a few moments. Here's what's happened to the church. The church has been culturalized by this world. And so we're constantly trying to be friends with the world, not to upset the world and, and to conform to the world. Everything we're doing, you live under pressure. We, everybody lives under this amazing pressure of time. And it's, what's happened is, is we have time in, now today for everything but God. And if I do give time to God, I have a little time frame that I'm going to give him one day a week, a certain amount of time, maybe once a month or maybe a couple times a month. But in getting in there, as a whole, the church today, the national church average of church attendance is once every three weeks. Amen. And so in looking at that, and our church is no exception, and I'm not picking on anybody, I'm not saying anything, but if I don't have time for God, I may wonder why he doesn't have time for me. I said it when we're talking about the enriched class and doing that. I have to be the one that gives myself to God. Look at the next point of your outline in here, and I'm getting ready to close right here, but watch this. The threefold will of God, God's will for our lives, is to be raised, released, and renewed. Change will never come, and I will never experience a renewing power of God in my life until I release myself to God. Until I release myself to God. The same way in any relationship. Any relationship that is about you is a relationship that's going to fail. When you get married, marriage is not whether you're happy. 
It's whether your spouse is happy. You don't get married for what it will do for you. You get married because you want to do something for somebody else. Marriage is you giving your life to another, not just them giving their life to you. Well, we'll just go right into a marriage conference this morning. (laughs) But in that, we sow in our lives a marriage to people pledge themselves to each other they give their life to each other and the moment you give your life to somebody else you give up the ownership of your life when you come to Christ Jesus came and what did he do he gave his life on the cross for us when you come to Christ you give him your life and now you live for his pleasure he does not live for yours and when you live to please him It's amazing how he responds back to you. You with me? When a husband lives to please his wife, it's amazing how she responds back to him. When a wife lives to please her husband, it's amazing the response because it's called sowing and reaping. And when we sow into one another, we reap this amazing harvest. But the only way I can sow is I have to die. I have to submit myself to the process of sowing. Amen? And so I give my life. And that, that's how you turn. You, you, you get in. Pastor Tim's done it. We've done it over the years. Meeting with couples. And you have two couples. And most couples, when they're having problems, they're talking about what they're not getting out of the relationship. They're never talking about what they're sowing into it. They're just talking, they're not, it's not good for me anymore. I just don't feel it anymore. It's not happening. It's just not good. And then that same concept comes into the church. Well, you know, I really didn't get blessed this morning. I didn't know that's why we were here, to bless you. I thought we were here to worship him and to teach you how to grow in him and how to have your life be something that brings praise and glory to him. Are we doing all right? I'm not making many friends this morning, but I have a job to tell you the truth. Amen? Hallelujah. So watch this. So in there, change will never come, and I will never experience the renewing power of God in my life until I release my life to God. It begins with me. So we give up control, and that's what lordship is all about. Hear me, the devil cannot restrain the life that God has raised. The devil can't. Only we can do that. I have to give him back over control over my life. Change comes as a result of three things as the worship team comes back. Change comes into our life as a result of three things. Usually when I hurt enough that I have to. Most people get saved. I had a conversation with my son Austin back in Pennsylvania. We were just talking about different things and Cody was sitting there with us so we are having a kind of a three-way conversation on our phone and uh, Cody just talking about, he goes, yeah, well, you guys got saved out of brokenness in your life, out of pain, out of failure. And many times that's how people get saved, because of brokenness in their life. Or we get to a place where we hurt enough, we're actually willing to ask for help. Amen? And so I hurt enough I have to in order to stop the pain. Secondly, change comes when I learn enough I want to. That's why I want to live with God these next few years. I want to learn enough about God, know enough about it, that I just want to change. Because I believe whatever he has for my life is going to be the best part for our life. Amen? And then lastly, the best part, I receive enough I'm forced to. 
I want God, what he's pouring into my life to be so much. God, you're, you're pouring so much into my life. I, I, I don't want to lose any of this. I want to hold it. How do I keep maintain and keep everything that you're showing and revealing of yourself and your life to me, God? I, whatever I have to do to change, to, to hold on and maintain this, I'm all in. Amen. Amen. And so change comes to us like that. And so what kind of change are we offer or are we after? The Bible tells us that we can be transformed. That we can be changed inside and out. That we can be transfigured for His glory. And that we can be conformed and shaped to be used by the Spirit of God. In other words, for God to be seen in manifestation. Or that there would be evidence of His life in us. Would you stand with me this morning? The hard thing about going through life and change... transition, if I don't keep pressing and I shared in first service and social media is good for something but some of it's gotten kind of weird in areas but there was a big hoopla these last few weeks there was a guy who wrote a book about quitting dating and writing all this stuff and encouraging young people to walk with God and then he walked away from God and his wife and everything else there was a young worship leader, a very popular part of a worship band and stuff. And then he said, I'm walking away from God, walking away from my faith and all this stuff. And go, oh, no, how could that happen? Oh, uh. well, let me just put it like, people have been walking away from God forever, from the beginning. It's not it's like we're acting like, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. No, it happens all the time that people, because they lose their pressing God, They get part of something other than a personal relationship with the Lord. The number one thing that you're called to do is to really have a personal relationship with the Lord. Let me go back to marriage. Anybody having a marriage problem is having a relationship problem with God. You can't have a problem with your spouse and have a right relationship with God. It's impossible. Because God will, He just works in us. To make relationships work. Amen? And so in that. And so, but people were all upset about doing that. But I just live by this. The last time I looked at the cross, it wasn't a guy that wrote a book. It wasn't a guy that led a song. Years ago when Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger and all those guys back in the 80s having all these problems, people said, well, what do you think about that? I said, well, the last time I looked at the cross, they weren't there. Jesus was. And he never fails. So if I'm getting discouraged, then I have my eyes on the wrong person. You just keep your eyes on Jesus and you keep, don't get caught up, like I said earlier, in the new. You live for the true. Amen? And then you live to be free. Because this is the testimony of every one of our lives. That God has raised us. And you're here today. And you've given your life to Christ. Then this is His goal for your life. That everything of your old life would be stripped away and you would be, old things pass away all things become new. But this happens when we surrender to His Lordship over our life. We sang that song, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Everything but that and that and that and that. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. You can have it all but that and that and that. I surrender. What is your that?
What is the area that God doesn't have yet in your life that's connected to your old grave clothes, your old way of thinking, your old life? On the other side of that is the fullness of life in Christ. And I said it in second service. For years we did, and we moved away from it. When we moved into this building, we had pews when we were first in here. And pews were cool. I thought they were cool. Because when I was preaching, there was something I could do that was awesome. When we had altar calls, I could walk on top of them to get to people. Because this section was solid. The Lord put on my heart to go pray for somebody. We'd be praying for people, and I'd see somebody, and I'd just, I'd just get up and walk across the top of the pews towards people. They were awesome. Amen. Now we got chairs, and so it create like a domino thing, so we don't do that all the time. But the reason we had altars is because God always meets his people at an altar. And an altar is not a place where somebody else prays for you. It's where you open your heart to God. And you bring your life to him. And you surrender your life. You say, God, I, I don't want to be bound by this anymore. I don't want this thing to reoccur. I don't want to move. I don't want to just be hopping around. God, I want to be free in the fullness of what you raised me to be. I, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. Lord, I don't want to hold on to these things. I want to surrender everything to you. Nobody can pray that prayer for you but you. Maybe you're like me. I had a praying mama and a praying grandmother that prayed for me. But I got saved when I knelt at a chair in a prayer room and I gave my life to Christ. And everything God has done in my life to this point and everything he's ever going to do is when I kneel and I build an altar with him and I say yes to him and I personally make that commitment. So they're going to lead us in a song. I want you to sing that I surrender again. Can we do that? But just in that area, you're here today. What's your that? What's your that? Jesus came and he said this I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly and I didn't get to it but in life we take tests when you study for the test if you don't pass the test you have to restudy and take it again we have to do it to get a driver's license we have to do it for all kinds of things you have to be able to pass the test to move on to the next day God tests us and we see where we're at and we stay at that place until we pass the test and many times the test is connected to what we're holding on to I think I need that I have to hold on to that I protect that I can't let go of that but it's old grave clothes that are holding me back so as they begin to sing if you have anything that is a that in your life then I'm going to invite you to an old altar call where you just come and kneel and find a place of prayer and you say to God, God, I surrender today. And I'm not going to hold on to that any longer. I'm giving my life to you, me and you, personal choice. And we can pray in agreement with you, but you have to make that choice with God. God has always met his people at an altar. And the Lord has a victory for you, for every one of us. My heart, my desire as your pastor is that you would live in the fullness of life in Christ. And the only way to live in Him is to let go of the old. So as they sing, 
I just want to invite you to move to this altar today. Let go of any of that that may be in your life. Anything. Let's leave the grave clothes here. Let's walk out completely free in Jesus.